Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, we're closing the books on the Gators and opening the books up on the Midwest Nationals for this weekend. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Tony Pedragon and Joe Costello join me to talk NHRA. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your intrepid host, Brian Loans. And as I mentioned there in the open, I have Tony Pedragon and Joe Costello as my guests on this week's show. We have, for the first time in the, of the entire year, it's amazing to think about this, but for the first time in the entire 2020 season, we are racing back-to-back at different locations. We had some back-to-back races at Indy, of course, the first two of them, but we stayed at the same racetrack. Uh, we then went finally out of town, went down to Gainesville, had a great weekend, which we're going to talk about a bunch here, and uh, now we get to race next week, or this coming weekend, in St. Louis. So it is kind of a- astonishing to think about that it is the first time we've had uh, two races back-to-back with the NHRA Tour in different locations, and it's a bit of a scramble for everybody. It's um, kind of interesting because when our season really gets started, typically in March, uh, we have a bunch of back-to-back races over the course of the year. Sometimes we have three and four in a row. And you build your routines because you kind of fall in that groove. You understand how things work. You get your timing down, get your preparation done, and then you move on to the next race. And uh, it's a bit jarring in this particular week to keep looking at the calendar and understanding that uh, we're all going to be heading back out of the house, heading on to a different location in just a couple of days. Certainly not complaining about it. It is uh, the nature of the business and certainly... Um, far more familiar with this style of movement than we have been with the kind of uh, truncated style we've had this year with obviously very few races and those races that we have had have been modified in several ways but boy let's talk about the Gator Nationals and I'm going to talk and get the opinions of both Tony Pedragon and Joe Costello as our show continues on here but it is um, it is a very interesting thing. We've had a couple of weeks of up and down news. We talked about the TV deal. We know that Coca Cola has uh, you know uh, determined that they're going to stop uh, being part of the world of NHRA drag racing sooner rather than later. Then we had the whole Marcus Lemonis Camping World thing uh, pop up into the scene, and it's been a kind of a uh, badminton game or a, a table tennis game of the ball getting batted back and forth between the uh, between the exciting and the potentially kind of cringeworthy news in NHRA drag racing. But it is kind of wild when you once you get to the racetrack, all that stuff really does kind of melt away. And we look at the performances, we look at the crowd, we look at the entire race weekend of the Gator Nationals, and it wasn't a weekend of having conversations about the camping world company it wasn't a conversation about coca-cola it was a very positive race and when you're able to go to a place and really kind of lock into what you're supposed to be doing which is in my case calling the race or in the racer's case running the race the crews working on the race cars you really do feel like you're kind of fulfilling your purpose in that sense had a great crowd at the gator nationals Uh, it was limited of course as every crowd we will see this year and through the end of 2020 will be, um, but we had a lot of people in the grandstands, and it, it brings a lot of energy to the event when you're able to put people in there, and um, for people like Tony and uh, Joe who have loads more Gator Nationals experience than I do, I'm going to be interested to get kind of their take on that uh, that end of things. We had an absolutely stunning performance by Ron Caps. It was a career-defining day. Um, a guy who's had many of them, but when we look at what Ron Caps did over the course of a single day, the 
incredible exploding car skids it out uh after the semi-final then the team comes together and all of uh you know ron tober's guys over the years come back to help them reassemble the car it was the kind of drama that we love in the world of nhra drag racing bruno and amanda did a great job reporting on it from multiple places as it was happening uh, we were trying to beat a rainstorm which ultimately we did with the mellow yellow categories you got steve torrance winning and the don garlet swamp rat 14 uh the tribute car with don garlet standing on watching and actually working with the team over the course of the weekend uh we go to pro stock alex laughlin exercising the demons of 2019 when his car wouldn't start and bo butner gonna buy in the final he goes out in that Haviland Camaro, wins the race after having some kind of social media back and forth with a bunch of people over the last couple of weeks. Validation for him on so many levels. And then Matt Smith, uh, a crushing performance, came into the final round with basically a tenth of a second performance advantage over Andrew Hines. And it was, I'm not going to say it was a cakewalk because none of these races are a cakewalk. But Matt Smith has a very scary fast motorcycle, and if he is able to repeat his Gator Nationals performance this weekend in St. Louis um, and really start to make some distance between himself and the field, I think he may be uncatchable in terms of a championship in the pro stock motorcycle category. The Gator Nationals on the sportsman side was also very, very good. We had just a handful of final rounds yet to run when the rain came, and those are going to be run at a uh, kind of a diaspora of different events. They figured out what racers are going where, and they've moved those finals to specific events where the racers will be. It is just really fun to look at an event like the Gator Nationals, one that was pushed off for so many months, one that was run under weather conditions that nobody has ever competed in in terms of their experience at Gainesville Raceway. We do not race in 90-degree weather on 120-some degree racetracks in Gainesville. Every once in a while in March, we'll sneak in an 80-degree day. We'll sneak in a day in the you know high 70s, but none of those days have 90-plus percent humidity. None of them have nearly 150 water grains in the air. It was the definition of what Don Garlitz used to call swampy old Florida. It was all of that. And the teams responded in kind. We saw uh, performances where, especially in the first round of Sunday when we had the cloud cover, some teams really stepped up and laid some numbers down after uh, working their way through a couple of interesting qualifying sessions. So all in all, the Gator Nationals, uh, Emily Oil Gator Nationals, were really entertaining. And it was great to be in a different place, not for the simple fact of moving around, but for the simple fact of us bringing the show to fans in Florida. And we are going to be bringing the show to St. Louis this weekend for the the AAA Midwest Nationals in the shadow of the arch. And we're going to be running that race in conditions that are absolutely 180 degrees out of what we had in Florida. And that's what's going to change the personality of the two events. Personality of the event in Florida, and I'm going to talk to Tony Pedregon about this, but the personality of the event in Florida was one of perhaps conservation. It was one of uh, needing to really be dialed in in terms of how you're going to get a car to the finish line without putting the cylinders out, without smoking the tires. And when we get to St. Louis and the high temperature on Saturday is 62 degrees and the high temperature on Sunday is 66 degrees, and the humidity is virtually nil, and the barometer is at 30 inches of mercury, um, it is going to be the exact opposite of the approach. And that's, uh, again, what I want to talk to Tony about. How do you, as a crew chief, go from trying to walk the tightrope, trying to just get the car to the finish line, trying to run four O's, to then remold yourself because someone's going to go 80s. There's going to be many, many 80s in the funny car category run, 
if not on Saturday, by the time we get to the finals on Sunday, it is going to be a very different look in terms of performance in St. Louis. And this is where, you know, that's what they say. This is why you make the big bucks. This is this is where you show your diversity, your ability to adapt in terms of taking a race car that was um, in some ways uh, kind of defanged to work in Gainesville. And then you got to put the fangs back on it. You got to put the you got to put the gusto back to it, and we'll find out who can do that best. Obviously, Dickie Venable's name jumps to the top of the page in a lot of these conversations. But when we look back and see Ron Caps running 330 miles an hour in that semifinal round, uh, low ET of the meet, big speed of the meet, um, Ron Tobler can absolutely uh, can absolutely throw you know Thor's hammer at it when he needs to as well. The pro stock battle, we didn't see anything we really expected in pro stock in terms of those top three cars we saw jay go out early for the second race in a row he loses in the first round and that is um, transformative for him it really does start to take him not out of the picture but it it makes it life harder for him jason line and erica enders what a battle that was we expected it it lived up to the hype uh, but we would have expected both of those racers to maybe be closer to a final round so when we get to a final round with aaron stanfield and alex laughlin you look around and go, oh, wow, okay, this is a change of pace because we've basically seen Erica, Jeg, and um, Jason kind of trading Wally's back and forth this year. So with that final round we had with Alex and, and Aaron, it was a bit of an eye-opener in a good way, kind of surprised us a little bit. And we'll find out again what happens here in St. Louis. It goes from being a, let's see if we can get this car to go 60 feet without balling the tires up on this weird racetrack that's a billion degrees and the car's not making any horsepower, to a max effort it's going to have to be a max aggression chassis setup as well and you're going to have to try to get all of it i look at a guy like matt hartford who is very very fast he's just been bitten by the red light bug Um, we're going to find out what happens to him this weekend matt hartford is a guy who can definitely throw down in terms of being tuning you got eddie granaccio working on the chassis so um, you got a pretty good one-two combination there and he's a guy that can kind of disrupt somebody's championship hopes and dreams as well A lot of stuff to talk about here. And again, the reason I'm talking to Tony and Joe this week is because I want some analysis. Uh, Racers are going flat out. Teams are going flat out. Crew chiefs are going flat out to get themselves prepped and turned around for St. Louis. And really, uh, availability-wise, I wanted to make sure we had a show this week because the race was so good last weekend. And it made a lot of sense to, to sit back and talk to the guys who observed the race like I did to get some perspective. After St. Louis, we'll catch up with some drivers and crew chiefs before we go to Dallas. But this week, it is all about uh, it's all about the observers between myself, Joe Costello, and Tony Pedragon. So I welcome my first guest onto this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. You know him, you love him, or you don't. He's Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man on the FS1 and Fox broadcast. How you doing, Tony? Good, good, Brian. Always good to chop it up with you. And a lot of, a lot of people are saying, yeah, you're right, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay yeah that's okay. And, you know, i said in the open of the show that uh, i wanted to catch up with you and joe costello this week because uh, obviously it's a different style of week for us we're finally back in the kind of a back-to-back racing deal for the first time of the year and um you know the, i wanted to talk a little bit about the gators before we get into st louis but um some takeaways for me man that the ron caps victory was an all-timer for me i mean just every single part of that was pretty incredible yeah, you know, I'm, I was looking at the ladders, uh, just kind of gearing up to have a conversation with you. And, you know, it, we always talk about the conditions that really play into their hands. And it's typically, you know, when it's warmer, the sun's on the track. But, you know, don't forget, these guys are pretty impressive, even when it's cool. You know, they run the five-disc clutch. Um, there's only two cars that perform well. It's Tommy and Caps. And, you know, I, I, I talked on the show about the different characteristics 
And when you think about all the damage that that the Caps car, the Napa car, had in the semifinals, you, you got to wonder. I mean, the track and those conditions when there's no sun on the racetrack and the, the grip gets really high and the track gets tight and, you know, they're able to throw a lot more power. And we were seeing a performance range of, you know, mid to high 90s. And in the first round, you know, of course, Beckman and then the Hagen 91. But that 89 that, that Ron Tobler uncorked, I mean, that, in my opinion, was by far the most impressive run. But when you when you go back and look at that race, I mean, Matt Hagen had five hundredths of a second advantage off yeah. the starting line. And I think they were trying to run a little bit harder, maybe going back to trying to go back to what they had done in the first round, and it didn't hold. But uh, Caps was going to have his hands full, you know, had that not happened. And um, from what I'm understanding or what I'm hearing is that car broke a rod. And you have to wonder about the five-disc clutch if when it goes one-to-one, it really places a higher demand on the parts and and you have to wonder if that was one of the things that contributed it may not i mean maybe it shortens the lifespan of some of the parts but uh, regardless of what happened that was a big wind and you know pretty dramatic how it caught on fire and how he stopped the car and you know where he stopped it and uh you know fortunately matt hagan is one of the drivers one of the few drivers i'll give him credit there are a few but he's one of them that pull the parachutes when the parachutes need to come out you really in a funny car yeah. or a top fuel yeah. car you have to anticipate the finish line if you activate the button at the finish line it's still you're going to see a delayed response at that kind of speed and you know fortunately for caps he was racing one of the season pros yeah absolutely and uh you know like you said if if he wasn't or if uh if the guy in your lane had not been on time with that you got a totally different scenario but hagan was you know uh not he was not in any danger of running over ron when he got that thing stopped which was uh which was a good thing you know to me i think the when i think about the way that they won the race the you know the 35 whatever it was 40 minutes between the uh semifinal and then the final when you know basically it was all hands on deck with the backup car the most impressive part to me about that is that no mistakes were made in that work and all the work that got done they didn't even i mean they only started the car just to make sure the thing would run for about three seconds before they pulled it to the starting line and it speaks obviously to the the experience level of the guys working on it that no uh no t's were not crossed and no i's were not dotted yeah, I agree, and I think there's a couple of uh, responsible parties you can you can uh, you know give the credit to. Of course, Ron Tobler is the guy that's going to make that split decision and then communicate it to Ned Walliser at NHRA. So the rules in place, the options are there. But Ron Tobler is, and I'm pretty sure as soon as he saw that thing blow up, his wheels were turning. He was glad he saw the wind light. I'm sure he glanced over at that that 389 and the top speed almost 330 miles an hour and then he starts processing how he's going to approach it and the quick turnaround so he's factoring all those things in and he's probably not thinking of the damage but he knows the potential damage could have been the he knew the body was split in half um they've done that enough that he that was a write-off but now he's thinking of the car itself and the chassis forget about the engine because that can be replaced so he's thinking we've got a mess we've got a quick turnaround and there could potentially be damage if it kicked the rods out a lot of times some debris or some projectile projectile can potentially uh, maybe not bend the chassis but it can ding a, it ding can a ding frame it. rail or something yeah yeah it can ding it beyond repair so whatever the scenario that he ran through it was a quick decision get the backup car out and he also had to be familiar with that he instructed that team to have it ready as most of the the top 
touring teams do. They Their backup car is like race ready and you don't have to rebuild the engine. It's already got a built short block. They just have to make a decision on the compression based off of the deck height of that particular block and, and then just start to make the changes to that car the way they had it set up for that Gainesville track. But um, it, it was pretty impressive that the whole process went smoothly and they were able to make a, a quick decision. And they had the car in the trailer. It wasn't sitting out ready. Um, it, it was being taken out as they were cleaning the mess up. So uh, a good, uh, you know, good showcase of teamwork on the Napa part. And, you know, again, for NHRA having a rule in place and understanding the different scenarios that some of these racers can be confronted with. Yeah, and, you know, I, I gave credit in the open to uh, to Amanda and to uh, Bruno, who were kind of like our, our – there were our reporters during that scenario. And I think it was neat for us uh, – on the show to be able to real time, like tell people what was going on. We had Ned, you know, Ned was observing the, uh, Ned was observing the, the, the situation through the monitor that we had. Bruno was literally right there in the pit area following the whole thing along. And it's been a while, I think, Tony, at least in, in my mind, it's been a while since we've actually had, you know, we've obviously had the situation where, Oh, the, somebody's warm up doesn't go as planned. But when you have to wholesale change out a car, it's been a while. Really? I got to go back to probably Robert Hyde at the finals in 2017 when he had a similar situation. He crashed a car in the semis and had to get one ready for the final round. Um, that's the last one I can think of that we're talking about a whole car replacement that late on a Sunday. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's good. That that means that they're not blowing them up as frequently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you pour nitromethane, you have a massive amount of cylinder pressure and, you know, bad things can happen. But, um, you know, that's the part of the drama of our sport. And, you know, the fortunate part, again, is that, you know, Ron Caps jumped out of the car. He's able to do an interview, get back to the pits and, and contribute, you know, along with a lot of other teams. I know the Snap-on team has a lot of familiar faces that are willing to jump in there and, and lend a hand. But, um, it just goes to show you that it was a good ending and it does create some drama and, and it's expensive, you know, for Don yeah. Schumacher, uh, and for the team, but you know, the end result was good. It was entertaining. It was safe. And, uh, everybody comes away, maybe with the exception of Tim Wilkerson, we're probably hoping they made some little mistake <laughs> right. and, uh, <laughs> and that wasn't the case, but you know, he could have run a little quicker too and changed the outcome. Yes, he could have. Uh, we can look at the top fuel side. It was Billy and Steve in the final. Uh, Steve Torrance now has the points lead in top fuel. And, you know, you and I kind of had this conversation when we were packing our stuff up on Sunday afternoon. But if you are if you are the Coletta team, if you're Doug Coletta, if you're, if you're Rob Flynn, Troy Fashing, the group, you really have to find something here to, to stem the tide because if this guy gets going like he has in the past, there's going to be no hope. Yeah, Brian, and the interesting thing – again, is that they're having the same conversation that you and I are having. So it's great for anyone that's listening to your, into your podcast. I mean, this is this is how they're evaluating things. This is what they have to assess. This is what Coletta, they're sitting down looking at the competition, but they're mostly trying to figure out, look, where are we going wrong? What's happening with our car and our performance? Yeah, they ran up against, you know, a, a, a tough opponent in the first round, but, you know, they should be ready for that. Now, Terry McMillan, they uncorked, yes. uh, you know, some fury yes. there in the first round. <laughs> they did, but but they, you know, they can do that sometimes. And you know, to your point, you know, Coletta was looking good. Now you always, we're always going to go back and talk about that skipped race, you know, for Steve. But I don't think that's a big issue now. I mean, it will be. They'll bring it up again if you know if if, if they lose the points lead. But um, but you know, right now I, I, that Coletta team has got to figure out what 
they can do to get their performance back. And it starts with qualifying. But, you know, one of the challenges for all of these teams, Top Fuel, Funny Car, Pro Stock, and Bikes, is that two runs. You know, it, yeah. it, uh, it really reduces the, you know, the, the window closes the window up for you know for you can't r&d you can't test anything you can go to some other track like a couple of cars are going to tulsa tomorrow funny cars but you know that's what it's come to you have to go to the starting line with a good strategy and a good setup and if you don't you're you're already you know you're already in trouble and that's one of the things it's like the coletta team is letting it slip away they don't have the performance they've gotten beaten some close races they're not as consistent as they used to be and to compound their problems, Steve Torrance is hitting his licks. You know, this is the, the Garlitz 2.0, the way they performed on Sunday. And, you know, that's it's a double whammy for Coletta. And, and now Leah. Now Leah's in the picture. You know, enter, yeah. enter another one. And now she's going to, you know, be able to mix it up and uh, maybe be a little more formidable than the Coletta team right now. Yeah, and I think, uh, and we talked a little bit about this on the show, but I feel like sometimes, myself included, that my conversation tends to go over Leah's head. I kind of am talking about Steve and Doug Coletta, and, and for Leah, I think a lot of fans may be talking that way, and that's a good thing. Um, when you can be as competitive as that car is and maybe have a little bit less of the spotlight on you, I think it's good for them as well because it's uh, there's always going to be pressure, but if you're not the central point of the conversation like we are having with Doug and, and with Steve, then maybe you can uh, you can do some things out there and surprise some people. Maybe not yourselves, but surprise other people. Yeah, you know, Brian, and one more comment. You know, I, I've heard a couple of drivers, you know, they take some shots at the countdown still. You know, maybe in another, you know, 20 <laughs> years, it'll, it'll change. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Because essentially, call it what you like. This is a countdown. It is. The countdown in terms of the clock is, is running. And when you look at the top three and top fuel, you got Doug minus 22 back, Leah minus 33 back. And then in funny car, you got Beckman and then Hagen's four back. And then Tommy 57 caps is now in the hunt. Yep. So this is a countdown guys. I mean, they've got to, at some point they've got to quit talking about that. The whole countdown was, was uh, uh, intended to make it exciting and make it interesting. So whether it's a conventional points or a countdown, if it was uh, a boring runaway, I'm sure like some guys would like, but, but the reality is this is a business to them. It's entertainment period. Yeah. You know, is it 50, 50, is it 60, 40, but it's just good that it's playing out like this because, um, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, it's, there's multiple cars and don't forget when, you go to that last race in Vegas, it's points and a half. So this is going to, this is going to get good. And it's not to say that, you know, Billy Torrance or, or, you know, Tim or Tasca are completely out of it. But if one of those guys, if they have any hopes or any prayers, they're going to have to win St. Louis and, and they're going to have to do what caps did. Caps came out of there with the win. And now we're going to talk about him. He's going to be in that conversation. So uh, I'm, I'm going to say St. Louis is going to be the cutoff for, you know, a lot of the teams that want and want to be a part of this. And look, if I'm Bob Tasca, I'm looking at a weather forecast for St. Louis, and I think I'm getting a little bit excited for my chances in the sense that we are literally going from the two completely opposite ends of how you have to race a Nitro Funny Car or a Top Fuel Dragster in NHRA drag racing. We're leaving, we are leaving the, the, the race in Gainesville that favored for the most part, the tuners that were able to to most intricately get their stuff down the racetrack, the drivers that were most on top of the game in terms of keeping the thing stuck into the groove, and we are going to a weekend where this is going to be 
in theory, uh, one of the best weather weekends we've had in years where we're talking high temperatures in the low 60s and an 11 a.m. temperature prediction on Sunday of 57 degrees. So let's just talk a little bit about that. I mean, to me, it's going to be a great test of the tuner's ability to, to not just rein the power in, but to not to now manage maximum power as opposed to having to, to kind of ankle the car in Gainesville. That's the beauty of our sport, you know, and, and thank goodness that NHRA doesn't always listen to the crew chiefs because if you have it the crew chiefs way, the track is going to be prepped 100%. Um, and it may not have necessarily been, but you can you can credit, you know, the 90-degree the weather at Gainesville. But there was good qualifying. I mean, we saw a lot of funny cars oh, run yeah. target a four-flat to a 405, and that was good racing. I mean, we, you and I looked at each other, as I'm sure a lot of the fans did, and say, that was a good session. Yeah. It was great, and you didn't have the best track conditions, but that's going to change because in St. Louis, it's going to be good. It's going to be cool, and you know something about the atmospheric conditions can always hurt you. You know, in a way, if if you don't have the engine set up right, and I think a lot of tuners were anticipating that gains will be better, and then you know, of course, a few days out, they saw wow, it's going to be ninety degrees, and they they knew the density altitude was going to be up, but you still had the high barometer you still had all of that atmospheric pressure so they really had to be cautious on how much compression they had still had to take compression out but you know they were firing timing in it and doing a lot of other things leaning the fuel system out now they come to this cool air where there's a lot of oxygen content and you know a lot of a lot of guys are looking forward to that the you know while we see a lot of cars running four flat in a certain range 402 405 that's not going to be the case. I think we're going to see a little more separation in terms of performance at St. Louis. But then you have guys, you know, like Dale Creasy, who's coming out of the woodworks that might have a little help from some invisible man that's starting to run better. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just it's it's impressive that some of these cars, you look at Doug Foley, some of these cars are starting to run better. And, and that's good. You know, it's good for the sport. We're going to have better than full field. So there's going to be some drama in qualifying and – I don't. I don't think the surprises and the dramas and in two runs were were just. I think because of this new format, we're seeing first round pairings that we didn't used to see. Yes, you know, in four runs, the, the quick cars they could make one out of four, and they would put themselves in the top half. With with, you know, with only two runs, we're seeing big names that are in the bottom half, and that just makes for good first-round pairings. Yeah, no, it really does. The Beckman, the Beckman-Hagen, uh, you know, very early run we saw last weekend was a was a big one that could have some long-term, you know, points implications as the season goes. You mentioned, you know, some of the teams uh, or some small teams uh, potentially benefiting from the help of an invisible man who will remain unnamed. But you and I began to <laughs> you and I began to play a kind of um, a kind of interesting game amongst ourselves and our monitors on Saturday and Sunday, going. And honestly, the, the name of the game was, man, that guy used to work at John Forrest Racing, and we've seen well, we, that was that was the name of the game. That's what we did, and we saw. I want to say it was probably close to a half a dozen experienced crew members that are on. Uh, several of them are on the smaller teams, and and that is the type of thing that helps those teams move ahead as well. Yeah, it's like a lot of guys have the the red and white striped shirt. It's like where's Waldo? But yeah. there's a bunch of them. Yeah. There's a bunch of Waldos hidden amongst them. And, you know, some are hiding, some are trying to fly under the radar, but, you know, they're out there because, you know, John Force is not running his cars and, and there's just a lot of good people available. And, you know, the other trend that I'm seeing, Brian, is, you know, when you look at Top Fuel in particular, it's like some of the teams are kind of falling off. They're falling by the wayside that had such a good start. But 
I like this trend because this, this to me is good for the drivers. I, I think at times in our sport, you know, when you look at oval racing and dirt racing, you know, a lot of it is the driver and yeah. in our sport, you know, it tends to, and of course, crew chiefs would really love to believe this. Uh, and it's nothing against them because what they do is important and how they make the car <clears throat> perform is very important. But, you know, sometimes the drivers don't get the credit that they need to. But I think today we're seeing the driver is as much a part of the car success as how the car set up because we see a lot of good cars out there that don't get past the second round yeah and and where do you look i'm looking i want to see the mug shot of that driver yeah. and, and not to not to criticize them and i and i hope i don't get any text messages because i'm not going to mention any names but can you imagine how these nfl players these quarterbacks feel on monday and tuesday you know when what can you imagine the bashing that uh, the the quarterback from the from the Ravens is getting today. Yeah, I mean, he went from the MVP to, to he's got some big issues now. <laughs> right. So our drivers should really keep that in perspective. You guys want to play on a big stage, then then we have to call what we see. We owe that, you know, to our viewers and our and to our listeners. But there are some drivers that just are not stepping up to the plate, and then there are drivers that are. Well, yeah. One of the most impressive rounds was in the semifinal when you look at. Uh, Steve Torrance against Leah. Yeah, I mean that—that that was. I mean, both cars were running good, and our world champion, who's like been, you know, non-existent, and and has had a lot of things on his mind. Uh, you know, he he drops, he puts a, a ace on the table at thirty-seven. Yep. And then Leah says, "Hey, I got one of those too." You know, the problem yeah. was Steve had a ace king, and Leah only had an ace. But these are two drivers at thirty-seven and at thirty-eight reaction time, and. You know, I, I go back and look at Justin Ashley. He stepped up to the plate, and then and then it was Sean Langdon. But I really felt Justin Ashley was good. But I, I'm over the last few races. I, I wanted to call these drivers out and say, "Look, what are you guys doing? It, it, you're allowing this guy to come in here and and run the table and make you guys look bad." But that's not the case anymore. Some of these drivers are stepping up, and some of them still have good cars. And if they could only do whatever it takes to compete. They could they could see some of those late rounds. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's been exciting, and he has. You know, I'm not going to say single handedly, but he's when the more races Justin runs and the more people he runs up against, we really start to see the metal tested. Whether it's a you know, we've obviously seen Langdon kind of respond. We've seen other drivers now, as you mentioned, with Lee and Steve having that incredible side by side, and. It is it is one guy causing this ripple effect, but it's also because we're getting to see him race different drivers, and we get to see these different drivers maybe either at their best or you know trip over their shoelaces when they got to run next to them. So it's been real interesting. One last question before we let you go: If you had to pick a crew chief for the conditions we have coming Sunday in Top Fuel, are you taking Okuhara? Are you taking Flynn? Or are you taking or are you taking um, Richard Hogan? Well, um, boy, that's a tough one there. Um... I, I'm the, the two that's really stood out are Okahara and Hogan. And in between all of that, I'm thinking, man, I, I might bust the call off to uh, some guy in Northern California, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to come out, but I think, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think those are the two guys right there that are going to perform. And, and don't forget about Rob Wendland because of what he has been able to do when it's hot and, you know, that was, I knew going into that first round, and I'm sure a lot of tuners thought the same thing, the track's going to be better. And it wasn't a, a 380 or a 381 track. It was a, a 70 track. And I think when he dropped that number on Coletta, 
that 74, A, nobody was ever able to, to get close to it. I mean, Steve, Steve ran a 77, a couple of maybe 78, but I, I think that those guys, if, you know, if, if they can get it together and then they have to be able to repeat that kind of performance. But, um, I, I think, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be interesting and it's going to be awful quick and fast. And I think funny cars, they're all looking at, Hey, we're not going to mess around with these three ninety fives and three ninety fours. I yeah. think we we may see a little bit of that in the first qualifying session, but there's no mistake that the goal for most of these funny car teams we got to run eighties. Yeah, okay? they did it. They did it with with the not favorable conditions, a lot of humidity. They're surely going to be able to put it together at St. Louis, and that's going to make for an amazing race. Also, factoring in the points and all the other drama that's going on. Tony, thank you very much. Enjoy uh, a couple days in scenic uh, Indiana, and I will see you in even more scenic St. Louis at the end of the week. See you in a few days, Brian. Take care. See you, man. Thanks, Tony. Bye. All right, so following up a great conversation with Tony Pedragon, we transition to guest two on this episode of The Insider. Joe Costello, how you doing, Joe? What's up, Brian? How are you? I'm doing really well, man. Coming off uh, your home race, the Gator Nationals uh, was a spectacular weekend. And, you know, it's kind of a hectic situation for so many of the teams and drivers and everything. That's why I wanted to catch up with you and Tony this week because we're finally kind of doing something back-to-back here. But as a guy who has attended this race for three decades plus straight, uh, I want your feels coming out of this latest iteration of the Gator Nationals. Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, Tony Pedregon you got to give that guy credit. He sat in that Cobra jet for like an hour on the starting line. <laughs> he just did. Faking. He toughed it out. He didn't get out of the car. He toughed it out and uh, put one on Bobby Motocraft. And so, got it done. That's off to Tony. But, you know, this one was so well-earned by everybody. And I don't need to go into detail about what we have all gone through. But having the rug kind of pulled out from under us in March, like we're here, we're excited, we're going, we're, now we're not going, now we're going home, now we're dealing with all this worldwide chaos, to finally get back to Gainesville and have a race and have fans, a good crowd, have great racing and all these different, different epic storylines, the Garlitz car to kind of make you think about the race and its history beyond this year and that it's in September, et cetera. Uh, I think it was just what the doctor ordered for me. Yeah, it was. And it was for me too. And I mentioned this in the open of the show, but one of the things I wanted to touch on with you is, um, you know, you're in a very similar position as I am on the kind of media side of drag racing. You have the WFO podcast and you do a lot of work on that front. And, it is funny how once you get to the racetrack, everything else kind of melts away in terms of all the, the tumult and craziness in the sport that was going on maybe the week leading up to the Gator Nationals. And you're like, I wonder how this is going to affect the race. And you walk in the gate and you realize, oh, no, it's not going to affect the race because everybody is here to actually race. Absolutely. And escape the fans. They showed up and they represented and they did the right thing. And there were a lot of them. I remember standing yeah. at the back of the tower looking at the line coming in, trying to judge like, how many people are going to be here. And uh, when we sat and looked at the grandstands, I felt very comfortable with the amount of people that were there. It was a good crowd, but they were doing the right thing. And that's the thing about drag racing. You know, there could be mushroom clouds going off in other parts of the world, but if we're at a drag race, we know what we're focused on. We're, we're, that means things are relatively safe because we're having the race. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. It's responsible. We wouldn't have a race 
if it was so chaotic that we shouldn't be having a race. That's something you can trust with the NHRA, which is big. And you're there to escape for six hours or seven hours from all the nonsense that affects you in your daily life, the rent, uh, issues, the lawn, whatever it is, health issues. You can go walk the pits, lock in with your favorite driver or team, root them on, and see some amazing performances. And that's what it was. And then afterwards, you know, it, it finally, uh, the rain caught up with us in the final rounds of the Lucas Oil Series. At the very end, my nature just reminding, hey, I'm still here and still in control. Uh, but in the end, it was a great event and gets us off on uh, another event this weekend, a back-to-back, which is going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, and, you know, I want to talk to you about a couple specific things. And, you know, I talked to Tony uh, about some other stuff, but I wanted to kind of start with you. Um, a pro stock motorcycle, what Matt Smith did this weekend kind of got lost in the mix because of the the uh, you know histrionics with uh, Caps getting ready for the final and because of the Don Garlitz car there. And obviously we had Alex Laughlin kind of exercising the demons of his failures of last year in the final round. So Matt Smith kind of got lost in the mix and the shuffle, if you will. But that guy went into the final round with a tenth of a second performance advantage over the Harley bike and just decimated Andrew Hines. And it's something that I guess, you know, we were very pressed for time on the show, and I didn't have time to even really get into it before we went off air. But to me, that's kind of a backbreaking performance that I think sets the stage for for a Matt Smith championship this year. Because unless literally the bottom falls out for that guy, he has the best motorcycle by a mile in the class. And, and has for a while. Their challenges have been uh, gremlins and getting it all to work out. And you may recall last year they had a shifting issue. They'd go down the track, they'd be killing it, and the, car wouldn't go in, the bike wouldn't go out of high gear. And they have been working on it. And I think what we saw with Scotty Polachek's bike at the U.S. Nationals and, and now Angie's bike, where it's not just Matt. Yes, he's got the dominant bike of the team, but everyone is running quick and fast. So whatever they've learned on that bike, it's now spreading to the rest of the team. Angie runs an 85 first round. Scotty gets to the semifinals. But in the end, Matt is the most experienced racer. Matt is the guy that knows how and why it all works. And so, yes, Matt Smith is going to be tough down the stretch. We've had a relatively small sample size with Pro Stock Motorcycle, but now it's, you know, it's getting larger and we're seeing what happens. And if they can keep things together, as long as they've got multiple engines that can do what it does, and I think I think it does, Matt Smith is going to be very tough. That having been said, Scotty Polachek, he's the uh, you know the people's hero in this he one because he he's never won anything uh, championship wise. And I know that Matt, if he can't win, he wants Scotty to win because Scotty has been a good customer and a good friend and such a great story. So you never know how it's going to play out with an early round whole shot victory or a you know mechanical issue on a bike if scotty polachek can keep doing what he's been doing he's going to be in the mix right down to the wire yeah i agree with that i agree that scotty's going to have a highly competitive bike all the way through i i think that obviously when we're going the weather forecast for for st louis is just ridiculous this weekend and if you have a, a bike that was as fast as matt's was uh, basically running through a swimming pool of air this weekend and you take it in the cool dry air it's almost one of those things where kind of the rich get richer in terms of uh, performance and who knows you know like you said maybe uh, mechanical gremlins can obviously be an equalizer here but if matt can run equivalent to what he did in the better air i think it's going to be uh be bad news for everybody else was very happy for alex laughlin and and stanfield for making the final aaron stanfield it was a breakthrough weekend for him he didn't win the race but he, he got his way to a final round but for alex laughlin 
you know, obviously Erica had the same situation at Indy where she overcame her uh, her demons from 2019, and he overcame his the following race. It's kind of it's it's a bit poetic uh, in pro stock this year. Yes, absolutely. What do they say about history rhyming? Something weird about that in that Erica had her issue to Alex. Alex didn't get to run the final last year, and he gets to overcome that obstacle. I do want to double back on the humidity. I don't know if we keep records for humidity at races, but this had to be one of the worst ever. I'm from Florida, and it was a great challenge to just walk around and exist, sticky, just literally walking through water, just not not in water. And uh, to see these cars go down the racetrack, the naturally aspirated cars the way they did, pretty amazing. I do want to highlight Aaron Stanfield. I really think he had the, the, the breakout weekend. The problem is we didn't get to see the final round of Factory Stock Showdown, where he made the final and tuned the car that he would be racing in the final. So he's sweeping the final as a tuner slash driver and also gets to the final round of pro stock. We know the kid is good, but does the rest of the world know who he is and that he's good? And, uh, you know, he had a good shot to win that final round in, in pro stock. His car gave up on him as Alex only went 706. But we're going to see a lot of Aaron Stanfield. I do think it was good for Alex. What's crazy to me is that Alex catches a lot of negative blowback on the internet, and I know why. It's just jealousy, right? The kid is young, he's good-looking, he's doing everything that you wish you were doing, is what he's doing. He's doing like, what do you wish you were doing? Yeah, Alex Laughlin is doing that. He's got it all going, and what makes it even worse is that he does it while being a nice kid who's humble and respectful and just like, you know, no negatives with Alex Laughlin. And so when he goes out there and people talk about him on the Internet, of course, the, you know, haters going to hate, as they say. But um, he knows how to win the big races, wins Indy, wins the Gators, wins Lights Out, wins the World Tour Slammer Nationals. This guy is having a great year, seems to be getting better and better. His reaction time's really coming around. So, you know, big up to Alex Laughlin. Yeah, and to your point, I, I brought it up on the show. I said, you know, when he uh, when he won the race, I said, you know, this guy's had uh, I don't want to say issues, but he was you know kind of a, I unfairly attacked. The guy's trying to get his race car program sponsored, and he's getting creative to do it. And a bunch of people were taking pot shots at him. So, that, like, what is the best way to respond? And he never gets profane. He he addresses the issue. I mean, he has no problem like contacting these people and, and having going back and forth. But he never gets out of line. Always high class in the response. But this is the great. response response to all of it i mean when you take the wally and just shove it down someone's throat that <laughs> that was running their mouth on the internet what better way is there to just kind of answer all that all the bs so i did in a, a large part of me was very happy for him on that front for kind of validating himself and uh you know putting his his proverbial money where his mouth was by by winning the race and to your point yeah i mean look our 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 pro stock final pitted a guy who was like 23 against a guy who was 31. I mean, you know, to me, that's a great moment for us as a sport when we are constantly talking about talent and youth and, and where it's coming from and where it's going. Um, uh, this is youthful stuff. I mean, Alex, 31 year old guy, Stanfield in his early twenties, you know, in theory, they should be around for a long time. And both of them are hustling for deals. Both of them are hustling for sponsorships. And it was just neat to see both of those guys kind of make it to that point in the weekend. I really want to spend some time talking. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I agree, and it's they say the best revenge is living well, and that's what Alex Laughlin is doing. He has a very positive life. He loves drag racing. He's out there 
behind the scenes, people think he's just uh, you know a kid who's uh, you know his dad is footing the bill for him to go race, and that's really the it's not the the right story. But what's he going to do? He's going to go out there and try to fight against the internet and tell his story? No, he's going to go out and race and live his life and do what he wants and 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 try to let his driving talk for him and that's exactly what it did this weekend and yes pro stock in general you know even Derek Kramer in the semifinals um it's just a different story that's happening in pro stock and it's it's exciting to watch it absolutely is and you know to your point on the humidity as you were speaking I went back into my notebooks and I have a I actually have a notebook where I've written down the round one conditions of of basically every race for the last six years and the only race even close was a couple of years back we had 80 percent humidity on one day and it was 90 something like 91 or 92 percent uh, over the course of the weekend at Gainesville so for at least a half a decade there has not been grosser air <laughs> for people to race in right. or work in world record grossest air in NHRA history Gainesville <laughs> so you know I, I, I want to spend some time here on the Ron Caps thing I talked uh, I talked about it on the kind of mechanical end of it with Tony because you know that's a fascination as well that they did not make any mistakes you know that they actually pulled this off not that they got the car to the starting line but they got it to the starting line in in perfect condition for the final round after the uh, after the semis and and they win the race I want to talk to you about this way more on the interpersonal level um, involving both Ron and Ron. So on the Caps front of it, I want to attack this angle first. To me, that is a singular defining moment of that guy's career. It is when when the highlight reel of Ron Caps' driving career is made and he goes into the Drag Racing Hall of Fame, which he undoubtedly will, that is, to me, the signature moment of the video. Saving that car, not hitting the wall uh, in many ways, uh, you know, maybe saving the, the race in the final rounds for the fans by not causing a huge mess. Uh, the run against Hagen, we can talk about that performance-wise, but I agree. Caps is the driver, the guy with the talent, the guy who was nicknamed Mario by Snake because of his innate abilities to control the car, the guy who pretty much wastes his reaction times and time runs because he likes to trick his mind uh, and put himself in difficult situations for when eliminations comes on. The guy who gets invited into iRaces by the best of the best of every form of racing. The guy who can go to Eldora and uh, run dirt late models. That is Ron Caps, A great racer who in many ways is underrated. How, like how does that, how is that, right? Ron Caps, one of our great personalities, one of our great racers, a great person stuck with the same sponsor for all these years for an obvious reason and yet somehow underrated and yet i think it's true he's often counted out and look in terms of this championship they have injected themselves into the conversation and when he was able to uncork that 89 but then the best part of the run was saving the car by keeping it off the wall you're right it, that's ron caps that's what he is and that's what he does yeah, it was uh, it was great, and it and you know I made a point to say in the television show. Listen, if you you have friends that discount the ability of uh, of race car drivers and drag racing, like just literally run the last ten seconds of the show over and over in front of them and tell me who else is doing what Ron Caps did that day, you know. Well, I just watched your interview with Ron prior to the event uh, because I was interested to see. I love those. I love this one thing I like to do on WFO, which is like, what did you think before, and what. 
actually happened. And we rarely get to do that, right? And so here you got an interview with Caps from just a couple of days ago, and they talked about being able to get aggressive and step up and how he loves driving iRacing because he loves loose cars, because driving a loose car on dirt gives him a feel for a funny car, and sure enough, he gets to apply all of that right in front of our very eyes uh, on on the show in a critical moment. I haven't yet gone back to see your call of that action. Obviously, being on property, I saw, uh, you know, with the, the highlights on the big screen. But it's the little things, and that was a big move. And then, of course, every DSR employee uh, runs over, and I, I got to speak with uh, Chris Affler back, and he says, you know, we love that, but it's also crazy, right? We're in a routine, and then there's... 20 extra bodies over here, humans doing different stuff. Uh, and it's almost like, yes, they're helping, but they're also in the way. And what do we do in the backup car and all that? And they, they didn't even fire it up and they go out there and win the race. Just yeah, amazing. And, and on the assist side, the coolest thing is when you watch the, uh, when you watch the show and you get a chance, um, these are all people that have worked for Ron. Eric Lane came over. Eric Lane jumped in from Cruz was pitted across the street. They had obviously been eliminated early. Eric Lane's part of it. And you look at the you look at the people that were in that pit area that were actually working on the car, and it was basically like the sons of Tobler had come home to help. And it was one of the coolest things for me because, you know, that was Ron Tobler's 70th career victory in NHRA drag racing. And arguably, um, I was texting with him a little bit this morning. He says probably, you know, top five, top three most satisfying of his of his life, which is saying something uh, because he's had a couple of big ones in there. And, you know, it's we talk a lot about Ron Tobler because of who he is and what he represents and how he carries himself and how he operates and the effect positively that he's had on people's lives and that was one of those times where every single person they didn't come over because their crew chief said they had to that was that was duty man that was a sense of duty that brought those guys over there yes and there there is if there's like a patriarchal figure among the crew chiefing world uh ron tobler is the guy and Brian and I are fortunate, uh, obviously speaking directly to the audience out here, you know, you get to know some people, you get to know a lot of people being in, in the traveling circus every week, but we have been able to get to know Ron Tobler a little bit more because he's got these uh, social events prior to COVID, of course, um, that, uh, you know, we, we sip some wine and, and kick around stories. And so we got to really know the guy and to see the relationships that he has built and the way he mentors people and wants to bring them up and educate them and send them out. And that's, it's, it's like a pipeline. Think about JC and, and all the people who have come through there and the relationship with Dickie, like that run, Brian, where Tobler uncorks in 89, eight, when Matt Hagen and Dickie Venables have been the performance leaders on the weekend, that, right there was just a total drop mic moment. Yeah. When I want to, I can do this. I'm not doing it because I don't want to. It's not necessary. It's not needed. It's not at the moment. But when I have to, this is what I'm capable of. And 329 miles per hour, your top speed of the meet to beat the car that was the number one qualifier and dominant throughout qualifying and uh, looking to extend the points lead caps loses that race their championship hopes you know toast. pretty much over toast not mathematically over but pretty much over because hagan goes to the final round who knows what happened that was a massive run and i was on the starting line at the uh, end i know you saw it on camera 
Kobe was more, much more emotional yes. than he normally gets. He's not like a matter of fact kind of guy. Every win matters to him. But this one, he was a bit choked up. It was his birthday. To do that on your birthday, to have one of your great career performances. And we know Ron Tobler is not going to hang out in drag racing forever. Um, the time is coming where he is eventually going to say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to step aside. We don't know exactly when that is going to be, but this, this had to be very special on his birthday during the COVID, uh, backup car, seeing all those people running to assist with his situation. And then the driver doing his job, the relationship they have, it was, it was spectacular. And who was standing right behind him when he won? Dick Venables. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The, uh, well, the natural, as a family. yeah, I mean, the natural sound we have, um, is great because he, the, the camera was obviously right there with, uh, with Tobler and when light comes on and he kind of wheels around on his heels and he says, Oh my God. Like, and it, and it wasn't a, it was a, both a incredulous, um, like I'm breathing again. You know, you, you can, you can see him physically, his body, you can see his body language, like the weight kind of come off it and the tension drain off it. It's a great, great moment. And, you know, one that, uh, you know, I'm glad that we both got to witness it firsthand. Hopefully everybody listening either saw it there or on television because it was like, it was great. And honestly, the last time that I can remember we've seen somebody pull a funny car out of the semifinals and go on to win a race was Height back in 17. I'm trying to think of anybody else that's done it before or since, or I should say since then. I don't think, um, I don't think that it has happened couple of things tip of the cap to the nhra for that rule uh, you know some people have already reached out to me and you know is that the right thing and i think absolutely it is the right thing you give the fans an opportunity at a great final round plus you keep your racer in a situation where they deem themselves safe right for those guys to be thrashing on a car that just went through a massive explosion got spun out on the top end is that really the right thing to be doing no they had a brand new car ready to go they had run it half past I guess in Norwalk, and they roll it out and put on a spectacular show up against Tim Wilkerson, tip of the cap, obviously, to Tim and Richard Hartman. That was a really strong weekend for them. But some people have said, and I hate to fight the, um, the Internet, just like Alex Laughlin, there's no point, but some people have said, you know, nitro racing, maybe it has gotten a little stale. Or, uh, that is not true in any way. No. You just have to know and follow the stories. And this story, to analogize it to, you know, what we see in regular stick and ball sport, like this is a major, major victory for Ron Caps, the Napa team, the DSR streak continues, but all the obstacles they had to overcome to achieve it, just something special. It absolutely was. It was great. And the last thing we got to talk about is obviously Top Fuel and, and the presence of Don Garlitz at that event, you know, looking at the Swamp Rat 14 car, which wins the race. You know, I was at dinner on Sunday night with some people, and I said, it's a gift. Like, we got a gift this weekend. We were able to be at the Gator Nationals. We were able to talk about Don Garlitz in the present tense. He's involved in the race. And, you know, I look at it, and selfishly for my own career, it's like the things that other guys have gotten to talk about and do in my role previously – I got to do one of those things this weekend that I didn't know necessarily know I would be able to do. That Don Garlitz was a central figure in the Gator Nationals in 2020 is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> right. And as the world moves so rapidly and everything is changing in our lives and everything is changing in our worlds and we're all like kind of grabbing on to hold on 
to see where things are going and you know my, and the aging process effect like why can't I why can't I see this page anymore all of these things Don Garlitz is still the Garlitz that we grew up with and know and love and he's sharp and coherent and passionate and driven and all the connections to the Torrance team Dominic Organa Bobby Richard Hogan who another guy you know we talk about the crew chiefing uh, tree yeah. when you talk about a head coaching tree in the NFL right like with this guy and he learned under this guy and Belichick and uh, obviously Brian Flores comes from that it's so important in other sports to think that Don Garlitz is extremely relevant because of Richard Hogan it, Hogan is direct spawn of the Garlitz methodology and he's gone out and had a perfect countdown and won back-to-back championships and had the best hot rod on the tour for the last three or four years and then they decide to do something special for big. Gets shut down in March. Very few people, I think, even realized it was going to happen. Instead, they come out back-to-back non-Capco schemes for that team because of the Nitro Ninja in Indy, which I just feel like they wanted that too badly. It was, it was I don't want to say desperation, but they wanted to win with Dom's car so badly. And this one was a little bit more of a lighthearted moment garlic's there and to put the swamp rat in the winter circle an hour north of the museum of drag racing in gainesville where garlic has done so many spectacular things did you see big daddy had his fire suit and his helmet yes with him i did i did see that yes so let's 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 analyze that what was going on there was he gonna lock steve in the portage or something <laughs> if he got the opportunity yeah, I think he's, oh, wa- put he's, on fire suit he's waiting for a shot. He's waiting for a shot. Here's this guy. I think he's, you tell me, I think he's 85. I believe, I think, I think he's actually older than that, but I think it's either 85 or 87. Yes, upper, okay. mid mid to upper 80s is which is where that's safely, safely said. Yes, well, people tell me I look like I'm in my late 20s, and I could barely navigate out there in regular clothes. <laughs> it was so hot. Oh, you noticed that. Good. It was so hot and so humid. And here this uh, octogenarian is out there in full fire suit, carrying his helmet, motivated and ready to race. And he and Steve, we got to do a little interview for the in-house and NHRA.TV down there right before the semifinals. And he was just so fired up. He wanted to drive the car. Living legend. And that's one that we all should appreciate. Because there's going to be a time where we don't have a Don Garlitz to talk directly yep. to, yep. to ask questions directly of. We've got him now. Uh, but that was so great. And I know Steve, Mama Kay, those guys allowing it, Bobby, Dominic, whoever came up with the idea to do it. That thing was painted, by the way. They donated the body panels to the museum, from what I understand. Uh, a lot of people thought it was a wrap. I, I'm under the impression it was actually I was, paint. Yeah, I was told the same yeah. thing. I, I said, said as much on the television show that it was paint. Yeah. Yeah, which that's a lot of work right there if you think about it and the willingness of that family team to do all these special things to just make it special for someone else for Garlitz you know that tells you all you, you need to know and for them to win the Gator Nationals in Gainesville um, you know Garlitz wins again at Gainesville in 2020 I was there in 1986 which you know and that was a, a special thing to see him out there 
the swamp rat. What's what's he do? This is amazing, and uh, he's got to give inspiration to a lot of people at an older folk as well to keep going. Yes, it, it's you know I don't know I it's it's an amazing thing to me and we've talked about this you and I privately but it is every single one of these events that we're getting to have this year seems it's it's its own victory in and unto itself it's uh the fact that we're racing back to back in two different geographic locations is is a great thing and obviously we're on a we're on a a shortened deal here we got a handful of these things left to go and um every one of them has its own feel to it and and I left the Gator Nationals feeling the same way I left Indy feeling where it's like these definitely were the Gator Nationals. This is yet another race where, um, for whatever reason, that particular racetrack in Florida, like the racetrack in Indianapolis, just creates its own magic. And whether it's, you know, the the awesome finals we had at the U.S. Nationals or whether it's the fact that Ron Caps, you know, had this career kind of defining moment, the garlets there, the, the, the Gainesville race was was everything it should have been and, and maybe in some ways more. Maybe we're more appreciative of these things than we otherwise would have been. Maybe in, if... Steve's there in March and, and we see big out there and it's just kind of cool. You don't have the perspective of what it felt like not to race for months on end. What to, what, what it felt like knowing that the older legends of this sport are susceptible to the, to the COVID-19 virus that's going around the country. And, and the fact that we get to have them out is, is a, is a gift. So in many ways, I think the, my own feelings on the race were probably enhanced by the delay and the, the increased, you know, thankfulness of being able to have it. When you, when you have to work for something, it is appreciated much more, and we have all worked for this drag racing we're getting. I looked it up. Garlic's birthday, January 14th, 1932. He is 88 years there old. You go. There you go. Out there, uh, jumping over the wall, doing whatever he wanted, by the way. Garlic's was not, oh, yeah. not down around. anything. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't go out onto the starting line with uh, Brad Hardy, but we talked about this as we were getting ready to go back racing. And I, I spent a lot of time with Alan Reinhardt, and I know you have Alan on uh, the NHRA shows. And we get to you know really dig deeply on the sport of drag racing. I know there were a lot of negative people, a lot of negativity floating around. How many times did they call the end of the season the rumor mill? It was going to be Indy, and it was going to be done, or they're going to call the season, or we're going to end it at the Gator Nationals, and we're going to end it here, we're going to end it there. And... The sport keeps churning forward. We're earning our way and appreciating. If you love drag racing, you appreciate every second that we get and everything that is happening because it's not guaranteed. We've learned anything. Nothing is guaranteed. We don't just get to have it because it's always been. Things can stop. Things can come to an end. And whatever it is, uh, to see Garlitz out there enjoying a victory to see the, the Torrance family celebrating their first win since the horrific incident with uh, Dominic, seeing all these things come together, Caps and Tobler getting another win. There's no guarantee Tobler was ever going to get another win, let alone one on his birthday. No, he's got one. He got to show the world once again. Um, young stars coming up. It was a great Gator Nationals. But you know what the best part is, Brian? The best part. What is it, Joe? You don't even want to venture a guess. You're just going right to the, I'll I'll, I'll tell you, the best part, we do not have to wait a year until the next Gator Nationals. (laughs) That's true. That actually is, that actually is a good part. You're right. (laughs) You have another one of these things. Yeah. A couple of months. Six months from now, we'll be right back there. Yeah. (laughs) Right back there. Six months. 
Awesome, man. Hey, Joe, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it was great to share the experience with you last weekend, and I look forward to uh, running into you down the road. Make sure you tune into the WFO podcast to keep on top of all the latest and greatest in the world of NHRA drag racing. And uh, once again, man, it was great to see you. Great to see you at your home track. Yes, it was great being there. It's so much fun. We had a great time. And, uh, what, you know, what can I say? This has become my life. I've now gone to uh, everyone since 1980, and I went to this one twice. So it's a, it's a pretty great stat. Brian, thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. Love the fact that you're creating new podcast listeners, and I know that they'll dig around and, uh, and find WFO at some point. So I appreciate that. Have a good time out there in St. Louis, and we are coming down the stretch. There we have it. Two conversations, Joe Costello and Tony Pedragon. Thank them for their time and insights into what's been going on recently in the world of NHRA drag racing. News continues to break and news continues to swirl around potential new series sponsorships after the announcement by the Coca-Cola company about a week ago as I'm making this podcast. It's going to be an interesting ride to follow, an interesting ride to take with the NHRA over the next couple of weeks, months, and hopefully into next season when we're talking about a new series sponsor. We have great racing yet to come. St. Louis this weekend, then a week off. We go to Dallas, Houston, and we are scheduled to finish the season at the Dodge Finals in Las Vegas. One other note I wanted to put on the end of the show is a thank you to Pro, the professional racers organization that is the that is the organization that represents the professional teams of NHRA drag racing. They made an announcement last week that really kind of unfortunately got lost underneath some of the uh, the craziness that was going on via the co-company and also via the, uh, the Camping World Marcus Lemonis conversations that were happening um, on social media and continue to happen uh, behind closed doors now in a business sense. But Pro basically put out an organization that uh, put out an announcement that said their organization is committed to supporting the NHRA Drag Racing Series through the end of 2020. And it bears thanking them and it bears mentioning this because it was a... Uh, not an easy thing to do. It was not certainly a, a situation where people were elated about the fact that price uh, prize money was reduced across the board. And certainly uh, as a drag racing fan and as somebody who presents this sport um, via media to our audience, I am very thankful for the support of Pro. I know the sport is very thankful and our fans are very thankful as well. So on behalf of uh, myself and everybody else that's listening, I wanted to thank Pro for making that announcement and for their commitment to the uh, to the, the Mellow Yellow drag racing season over the course of the end of this 2020 year. It's been wild, it's been crazy, and it's been very hard at times. And that was uh, an announcement that I believe um, – was very significant and again thank you very much to pro for their support we have 17 cars booked in nitro funny car 17 cars booked in top fuel this weekend as well as about 20 pro stockers and abundance of pro stock motorcycles so the fans in st louis at the AAA midwest nationals are going to get one hell of a show and it is going to be very very fast thanks for listening to this episode of the nhra insider podcast i'll be back next week we'll be talking more about what's been going on lately what's going on in the future and how the end of this very interesting 2020 season is shaping up. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll see you at the Drags.